This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined from 3,000 miles away, I think 3,000 miles away, by the one and only Miss Alexis Nyers Haynes. Hi. Hi. Are you 3,000 miles away? I'm in New York City. Are you in LA or am I just making that up? No, I'm in, <laughs> I'm right outside of LA. Yes, I'm in California. That's what I thought. So, what's going on with you? You know, just um, working with two kids at home, which is certainly not easy. And um, I don't know. I just, I feel like, listen, I get it. Like as somebody who is um, coming up on a decade sober, who used to never be able to sit still, who always had to be going, going, going. I think that for a lot, especially in our generation, I'm, you know, um, speaking about our generation predominantly because that's kind of where my main focus is. I'm sure that this, you know, is true for every generation, but especially for for us, um, we have a really hard time like sitting in our feelings because for many of us, we were never really given the tools to um, know how to cope with our feelings. And so we're being asked in this pandemic to basically like, stay home but that's so uncomfortable for people who were constantly out and doing things in order to escape from their realities from their um, inner work that they need to do and so I think a lot of people I'm not saying everyone who's traveling this applies to I think for a lot of people like the idea of staying home and staying put and having to like be with yourself is scary and so I think people would much rather I mean we saw statistically in the United States specifically that um, that when the pandemic hit benzo prescriptions went up 40 percent in the first two months I believe yeah and I think that a lot of people are checking out with like drugs alcohol or any form of escape, traveling, working out, sex, toxic relationships, whatever it might be, 
I would say work, but a lot of people aren't working right now or are working from home. So, you know, yeah. So I want to come back to all of that because I, I agree with so much of what you said. But, you know, like, I want to start at the beginning. Like, how does, you know, Alexis Nyers Haynes go from what most people think they know about you to, to now? And we're going to talk about, like, you have an amazing new book, Recovering from Reality, a podcast. So I feel like I want to come back to all of that and kind of, I always like to start at the beginning. But, so you're from LA, right? Like, you're from the LA area originally. Yeah, I was born and raised in LA. And then growing up, you know, like, you grew up, like, upper middle class, right? Like, a charmed life, so to speak. I mean, I'm not, you know, not to say money solves all the problems, but, you know, upper middle class. Yeah, there was periods of that. So when my mom and dad met, um, which was in the late 80s, um, my dad was one of the biggest directors of photography in Hollywood. So he was the DP on Friends, The Nanny, Cincy, all those 90s, 80s and 90s sitcoms that were about to come in you know, he was the guy. And so um, he was doing this show Brothers, which I believe was on um, what is now known as the CW. So it was like one of these big sitcom hits. And my mom was working as a model at the time and was doing extra work on the show. They met, ended up getting married and had us. Um, but yeah, my dad had an affair when I was really little. And my parents separated, and um, and so when they separated, I was probably like three and a half, four, and life at home was already chaotic. My dad was a really bad alcoholic. My mom um, was really emotionally unavailable and um, also had her own substance issues. And my dad was pretty violent. Um, and then at the same time, my um, there was another family member in the household uh, who was 10 years older than me that began sexually abusing me when I was four. And that lasted for several years. Um, but I think that there's this misconception that I grew up and had this privileged life. There was definitely a period of time in my early childhood where my dad was making a lot of money. But by the time that my dad was, or by the time I was 11, my dad was on the brink of homelessness. And by the time I was 12, he was actually homeless. And what happened was my mom, who was just expecting to be a housewife and then was no longer, and then was getting just child support who had never worked before she couldn't keep a job and she had two young daughters and she was a single mom and um yeah it was bad so we went from living in I would say a very middle class for my area home um to living in um apartments and condos and there was a period of time in my um, preteen years where we couldn't afford food, where we couldn't afford toilet paper, um, where we were on food stamps. And so I think people have that conception or misconception about our family because um, on the show, it looks like we were living in this house in Hollywood, but that house was a prop house. Like none of what was on the show was actual reality. 
And the truth was that prior to the money from the show, which I immediately blew on drugs and alcohol, we could barely afford our mortgage on our condo. So that's really like where the situation was. It was really dire. Um, So it's not like you grew up, you know, on the set of The Nanny asking Fran Drescher to walk down Rodeo Drive with you. So so I grew up, I definitely spent a lot of time on the set of Friends and, and, you know, I remember being little and like running into Jennifer Aniston's makeup room and all of that stuff. That lasted for a few years, um, but by the time I was, you know, nine or 10, that wasn't really a thing anymore. You know, my dad's addiction, which this is just how like addiction works, is your addiction begins to affect other areas of your life. And for my dad, it was affecting his work life. And my dad was very violent and angry when he drank, so he started to um i'm sure become out of control at work and guys you know i spend all day talking to the real housewives from every city listen i can't help it all my friends are women and as a self-respecting gay man when we get together nothing is off limits What I hear from my friends all the time is that when they turn to high quality underwear, sleepwear, and loungewear, the only place they go is Third Love. Third Love has cup sizes ranging from double A to I, including exclusive half cups, and lounge and sleepwear comes in sizes XS to 3X. With such a large variety of sizes, what happens? The fit ends up being perfect. There's a really easy fitting room quiz to take when shopping at Third Love. It's like a personal shopper. It's very interactive. The quiz focuses on size, breast shape, current fit issues, and someone's personal style to help deliver bras and underwear that are the perfect fit for you. The fitting room has helped 18 million women find their true bra size and you could be next. And what I love is that the perfect fit is promised. They stand behind their products. If you don't love the fit from third love exchanges and returns are free. That's right. They're free. And what I also love about third love is that they give back. They're the largest donor of undergarments in the U S they've helped donate over 40 million in product to help women make powerful life changes. Listen, Third Love knows you deserve to feel comfortable and confident 24/7. So right now they're offering all of you, my listeners of Behind the Velvet Rope, 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com/velvet now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash velvet for 20% off today. People don't really tolerate that in this, you know, industry for very long. Yeah, no, I mean, it was definitely weird because um, when I reflect on my life, um, the, the Hollywood aspect of my dad's career felt very normal you know it felt like this is just the way that it is and so it wasn't like um the excitement wasn't there maybe because that's just what I was accustomed to since I was so little 
And then it all went away. And it's interesting because I remember being a young girl. Obviously, I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s. So I remember this shift that happened where at school, so at this point in middle school, we've lost like everything and we're shopping at TJ Maxx where, you know, other kids who are going to my school in this kind of wealthy suburb are shopping at Nordstrom and wearing designer jeans and carrying like the little um, mini like Louis Vuitton bags to school with their backpacks. I didn't have that. And I remember when Simple Life and like reality shows were starting to blow up. And I remember all of the girls being like, this, we're going to be famous. Like, this is what we're going to do now. It was weird because it was this time period in pop culture where all of a sudden you could, all of a sudden it was like every girl felt like they could be famous. And it's weird because during that period of my life, I was like, a very like a punk rock rebellious teen who was like I want nothing to do with that and so um it's weird that like I was the one that kind of ended up with the reality show when I went to school with all of these girls who really thought that like they could be the next simple life girls um so yeah I didn't there I didn't really see that aspect of my childhood as different or weird or exciting or anything like that it just was what it was that makes sense it's what you know so life like isn't that exciting it's like you know these people are normal people they're coming to do a job you're literally sitting in mm-hmm. the audience they're holding up a sign like laugh this is when they have laugh tracks back in the 90s they didn't have just like they couldn't just throw it on so you actually had to sit in the audience and like laugh And they'd have to do their scenes over and over and over and over and over again. It was just kind of like, you know, it's not nearly, I think like the red carpets and all of that part of their lives are probably really glamorous, but showing up to set and doing that is not really. I get it. I have a totally different relationship to like celebrity from doing this job. You know what I mean? People are like, oh my God. I mean, listen, I love, this is so interesting. I love talking to a lot of people, but you're like, some days you're just like, I don't want to talk to this person. Like, why the hell am I talking to them? That's not you. But I get it. People are like, you're like, it's a job. So I, I totally get it. And it, it's what you knew. It's all you knew. So. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I didn't really, especially at that age being so young, I didn't really understand um, that like what my dad was doing was anything more special than any other father out there. You right. Know? So when you were in high school, like you weren't like the cheerleading type, like you were the, like sports, you were the punk rocker. Like, were you the like goth I'm wearing, like all black? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, because of the amount of trauma that I was dealing with in my home life, um, for a while I was, I did try to adapt and to be like that perfect girl. Um, And then by the time I was, you know, 12, 13, I think I just kind of was like, no, fuck you guys. You're terrible. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You're terrible parents. This is a terrible house. I hate it here. And, um, and so what happened was, yeah, I started to rebel and 
I'll admit it, as important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority, and I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water, and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all-in-one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, that was what I call like my black eyeliner and Chuck Taylor phase. And it's when I began like exploring with drugs and alcohol and, um, like we were talking about earlier, like really escaping the reality that was my home life with going to concerts and hanging out with older boys and doing all of that type of stuff. And then because you didn't have the money per se, like you said, with your family, why it just, it still was like readily accessible. Like there were enough people that were wealthy that were had drugs and alcohol and they're like, take some. I mean, drug addicts always find a way to have drugs. Um, Yeah. No, I mean, I think uh, my parents smoked a lot of weed. So like I would just take their weed and then eventually they began smoking weed with me and my sister and um like alcohol was always really easy to get and then when I was first exposed to opiates I was only 14 and I had a I had a surgery and yeah I just knew right away from the first time that I tried heroin that um pain pills that like I was going to be a heroin addict like I just knew it really yeah and I was just like this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life is this drug like I don't need anything else aside from this and um the high school that I went to I only went to for one year and then I ended up going into homeschool and graduating um early from school but yeah the the uh, high school I went to, I like immediately found a drug dealer who would give me um, Vicodin for $3 a pill. And I was like, okay, so then it was just, you know, that's easy, easy enough to come by, you know, 15 bucks a week for your fix of Vicodin at the time, you know. Um, It wasn't until 
I began, I was dating um, a drug dealer. And then I had like constant access to substances. And why do you say this is just my own lack of knowledge, like, you know, opioid, like, or pain pills, like that leads to heroin? Like, is that, I mean, that might be a dumb question. Like, is that just the case? Like, it all just kind of goes, like, how do you say, like, oh, heroin's what I'm going to be addicted to? Um, so, I mean, drugs themselves aren't inherently addictive. Many people have rotator cuff surgery and get on pain pills for a couple of weeks and then aren't going to become heroin addicts. Right. But the correlation is trauma. So I had um, physical violence, alcoholism, abuse, neglect, and severe early childhood sexual trauma, none of which had been dealt with. And so what happens when you give someone who has trauma and, you know, there's big T traumas and little T traumas. And I had a lot of big T traumas, but for many people, they just have an accumulation of a lot of little T traumas. And then they find themselves going from drinking one bottle or one glass of wine a night to a bottle a night. I mean, it really happens so fast because the brain will do whatever it takes to protect itself from um, harm. And when you have this much trauma and chronic stress and you introduce a substance that lifts that stress, even if it's for a short period of time, the brain immediately goes, oh, I like this. And so it tells you that this is, you need more of that. And that's where cravings come from. That makes sense. Like it numbs you and it's a way to escape the pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense and to me. Recovering from reality. It's because like we, we all are escaping our pain. I think that often we look at addicts and we're like, oh, I'm not a drug addict. Like she sounds like a terrible drug addict. But I'll tell you in my experience of having, a, you know, a treatment center for the last 10 years and, um, working with a lot of people going to school and studying chemical dependency counseling and um, having like a hit podcast for mental health and wellness. I think I've encountered a lot of people and the conclusion that I've come to is that everybody's addicted to something. Everybody is, whether uh -huh. it's shopping, sex, alcohol, drugs, working out, eating disorder, whatever it might be, we're all trying to escape our reality because we're a society that has been traumatized. I mean, if you look at, and I'm sorry for going so dark. No, 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 no. I, I honestly find all of this so interesting, for real. I talk to so many people on this show that when I run into someone or have them back on the show and they remember my name, I'm always blown away. It's the little details. And when it comes to sheets, the only place I turn is Bowl and Branch. Why? Because they pay attention to the little details. Bowl and Branch was formed by a husband and wife team that set out to give sleepers more choices for high quality sheets at a fair price. And boy, did they ever accomplish that. What I love is the variety of colors. I chose the pewter mainly because it goes best with my apartment. The sheets are so 
elegant. They look and feel so sophisticated, but the price is so reasonable. That's why I chose them. They're hundred percent organic cotton. They are made toxin free. And what I love is they get softer with every wash sheets that look high end, sophisticated and elegant, but are affordable. Sign me up. And that is why I did sign up. These are the only sheets I will now use. And you guys need to check this out. So listen, you can try them worry-free for 30 nights with free shipping and returns to experience the best sheets you You've ever felt, choose Bowling Branch. And because you're listening to this podcast, you get an exclusive 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code VELVET at bowlingbranch.com. That's Bowling Branch, B O L L and B R A N C H.com, promo code VELVET. Go on. Well, case study with with our generation, right? We're a group of kids who grew up in, in a time where there's been an endless war for the last 20 years. There was a huge financial crisis where a lot of people lost their homes. We're dealing with extreme income inequality. The vast majority of people don't have $400 in their savings to make it through the next, you know, like, crisis in their in their lives we we were dealing with mass shootings in our schools i mean the chronic stress coupled with the older generation's complete denial of the infliction of that stress and trauma on us in combination with um just a, a real lack of access to mental quality mental health care and coping skills and really being taught how to deal with our our feelings and our emotions leads to a society that's really sick and we are operating in a society that's really dysfunctional where there is lots of violence lots of addiction lots of mental health problems and and pretty much you know this chronic we're in a crisis and so and that doesn't take away from my personal responsibility. I believe that at the end of the day, even though I was a victim of a lot of abuse and neglect in my household and, you know, given the time that we were growing up in, um, that at the end of the day, I am the only person who can make this decision to heal myself. And I have to make that choice every day. And that takes personal responsibility and, you know, healing relationships, healing our country, we're dealing it with a really gnarly time in our history in this country. Healing on a collective level, of course, means personal healing and responsibility, but it means collectively holding, holding people accountable, you know, and being able to have these hard conversations. A lot of people are going to listen to what I said, and they're instantly going to shut it down because it's too painful to hear. That, right. that way that we've been operating as a society is just not sustainable. America is sick. All Western culture is at this point. It's a problem that we idolize Kim Kardashian more than that amazing Harvard young woman, Amanda, who spoke at the inauguration. That is a problem. You know, it's a problem where we're idolizing these celebrities over 
the Gretas of the world who have been on a school strike for the last four years trying to save the fucking planet. Problem. I agree. I could, this is, so before we switch the topic and talk about that, because this is something I love to talk about, you said everyone in 2020 is addicted to something. I think that's a pretty, I mean, even though it's 2021, I think that's a pretty, like, strong, but it's an accurate statement. Like, I'm addicted to work. Like, I get it. Like, I know, to anyone who has slept through the pandemic, has doubled down on drinking, whatever, I get it, no judgment. For me, I'm not that person. Like, I've thrown myself into this podcast. Not like a shameless plug, I'm on my own podcast, but I work, like, a gazillion hours every day, and I have, because that's my way to escape. So, like, what have you been addicted to then? Um, yeah, and I would say if I can give you a little bit of my personal opinion on that is that it sounds like you're addicted to being stressed out it sounds like you really like the feeling of being stressed because you know the it feels like you're being propelled by fear you know what I mean where the other people are also being propelled by fear but what we do with that fear might be different because your brain might go oh I need adrenaline in order to get through this. And my brain might go, oh, I need dopamine to get through this. Two different chemicals, right? right. What dopamine? I mean, let's just give an example, benzos, right? I was talking about how everyone's using benzos now, um, which I have no problem with people using pharmaceuticals, but what they need to learn about is how those pharmaceuticals work because what happens when you use a pharmaceutical like a benzo is you're flooding your system with dopamine dopamine is the feel good it's what makes you feel safe it's a feel-good hormone and your body actually stops making dopamine and then as a result you need more and more of that substance because you start having more and more anxiety and then before you know it you're on such a high dose and your brain never really does recover i mean they're showing that the risk of Alzheimer's goes up, I think something like 13% each, each, um, for every five years you're on a benzo. I mean, like these, these, there's real risks with these things, but it makes sense. Like when people ask me, like, why is everybody addicted to something? It's like, well, why not? I mean, like, it makes sense to me that everybody's on drugs or everybody's, you know, whatever they're doing. What am I addicted to? Um, well, um, I've been in recovery for the last 10 years and, you know, um, because I've done the work that I've done, I know how to turn those negative addictions. Um, I don't even like giving them that connotation though. Like this is bad and this is good. I think we live in a society that's a really like puritanical society. We want to believe that like, we're pure and perfect. It's like, I don't even want to, I want to drop the labels of good or bad. I know that what feels good for me is working out in a balanced way is meditation, is journaling, is, you know, getting a massage, taking a long bubble bath. It is, you know, it's finding balance. And I would say that I'm not really like addicted to well, that's not true. I'm probably a little addicted to my phone. I probably spend, I do have like app limits on my phone because I like to hold myself accountable. Like two hours after two hours of social media time a day, it logs me out. And really that's, that's for myself. I, I need to take 
I need that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm like addicted to my phone. Yes. Well, our phones now, our phones. I feel so bad for like the younger generations, and hopefully, majority of them will set themselves free from this. Our phones are like trauma porn. Like you can be addicted to porn, you can be addicted to trauma porn. I mean, our phones are telling us all day long that there's a crisis, that we're not good enough, that we're ugly, that we don't do enough, that we're not productive enough, that we're not cool enough, you know, that like the world's ending. Like that's what our phones are telling us. Mm -hmm. And listen, it's amazing that we have like a computer in our pockets at all times now. And like, it makes life so much easier or it was intended to make life so much easier. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. Listen, life is full of stress. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Life is stressful. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress level is high, like mine, your temper is shorter than usual, like mine, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. Unload the stress and get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased and who's not going to judge you or take sides. If there's stuff you can't tell your friends or family, this is the place to do it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain for it. Try it out. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Behind the Velvet Rope listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. That's B. E T T E R H E L P dot com slash velvet rope. Betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. Well, what's happened is it hasn't for a lot of people. It's made life more stressful for a lot of people. I mean, mm -hmm. I look back on my childhood and I'm sure you do yours without phones where you were out playing all day. You know what I mean? And video games were like, if you went to the arcade, like I didn't have a Nintendo box in my house, right? Like, and cartoons were only on Saturday mornings because the TV only worked half the time. And like life was so much easier mm -hmm. than it is now. So switching gears to go back to what you said about like, you know, you were this goth rocker with the black stockings and all black and you were wearing chucks. Where And you weren't one of those girls who was, like, obsessed with, like, The Simple Life and Paris and Nicole. So when did that, like, start? Like, did that start? I mean, because it seems like, you know, if you Google you and just, like, what we know about you, like, did you then fall into that obsession with celebrity? No. Um, I think, for me, it was more about, like, the lifestyle. So I graduated at 16. My mom or Tess and I just basically were just fucking around with our lives. We didn't do much of anything. And then my mom was kind of like, okay, girls, like you can't just be living in this house doing nothing. And she goes, you're both pretty, you're tall, 
well, I would, Tess is a little shorter than me, but she was like, you've got a great body. You both have this history of dance. You should go start doing background for music videos and doing like modeling stuff. And so I decided that that was probably a good idea because what else was I doing with my life? Like I was not college material uh, at the time at least. And I was sick of working at like a coffee shop for two weeks and then a Jamba Juice and then the pizza place. Like I was over that. And we started working and things took off pretty quickly. So we, I remember some of our first gigs like really sucked, but we did this Marilyn Manson music video, which was so apropos to like my- That's what I was gonna say. Like an emo rocker thing. And so, yeah, we, we did this music video. I just remember being like, this is it. Like doing Coke and drinking all night and partying and doing music videos until four in the morning and then going to IHOP and then sleeping for a day and a half. Like this is the life. So it just became really clear to me that, that this was a way for me to make money and live the lifestyle that I wanted to live. And so we started making friends with all of these club promoters and pretty quickly people started hearing about us in LA. We were these two pretty girls who were sisters. We told everyone we were twins, which was a total lie, but like we wanted to be extra fancy. And so (laughs) we worked this job, this like non-sag movie called Frat Party. I was 17. Tess was maybe, yeah, she was 18. And we met this guy, Dan Levy, who was working the movie, not from Schitt's Creek, different Dan Levy. Um, But they, he found us and he was like, you girls are a riot. Like you should have your own reality show. Do you want to shoot a sizzle reel? And we were like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? That's really how the show came into our lives and we shot this thing called a sizzle reel which is like a five minute video that you submit to networks and the network immediately came back and we're like yes we want this show which was weird because I was like why do you care about our life and it was this whole premise about how my mom was this was like yeah so my mom my mom was teaching us about the secret and all this like hippie, excuse me, hippie affirmations, law of attraction, um, all of the stuff that like I had been raised on. And they just thought that was so funny. They like pitched us as the alternative Kardashian family. And this was tech, this was before the Kardashians, or was the Kardashians on? I can't remember. Third season. Okay. Third or fourth. So the Kardashians were on and we were kind of this like alternative to them. And so the show ends up getting picked up by E and that's how that came about. So when you were going, I'm oh, sorry, I didn't mean to, I was going to say when you were going out to all, well, when you were working on these music videos and making, you know, good, was it good money? Like, oh, so 
150 bucks for like 18 hours a day. So not good money. Not good money. But a great lifestyle. I mean, for drug addicts, yes. For many people, no. Did you ever, like, did you ever get involved with a talent? Like, you know, like you said, like you were a pretty girl. Your sister was pretty. When you say twins, yeah, you mentioned it extra special. I, my mind goes in other places. I mean, I'm a gay man, but I can say, like, there's lots of straight men that would love to twin, you know, 18-year-old girls. Like, were, like, the, was the talent, like, a Marilyn Manson, like, were they, like, we're going to go out and party all night with you? We often partied with a lot of people. Marilyn, no. His crew, yes. Marilyn's very, this was at the time where he was dating Evan Rachel Wood. She was there the entire time. So, no. But, yeah, there was, like, many nights. This is when The Hills was going on. So, there was many nights with, like, Frankie from The Hills and... Oh my God, why am I blinking? Kristen Cavallari? No, my friend has a kid with him and I like can't even remember his Jason name. Waller? Jason Waller? Ashley Waller? We're talking like, oh, Emil Hirsch. So, you know, lots of people in that kind of environment, there, there were nights at homes where we felt like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like where the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Cindy Crawford and T.I. are all in a backyard drinking and playing music. And, like, I'm just kind of like, whoa, how do they? Yeah. How do they end up at this party? This is great, but, like, whoa. So, yeah, there were nights like that. And then there was, I'll just say this, like, as glamorous as, like, I think people thought my life was. Like, the vast majority of my nights were spent in the valley trying to cop heroin. So, like, I lived a very double, like, a double life where there was lots of duality. So, for example, that night that we had that big fancy dinner at somebody's house in Malibu, I had to leave early to go score some heroin because I started going into withdrawal, you know? So, it's like, I, I, I just can't stress enough. That, like, while certainly my life in L.A. was fun and exciting, the vast majority of it was really dark and not exciting. But you still, like, when you were in, like, high school with all these girls that had this obsession or, like, on the music videos, it really was more about the drugs for you than, like, you were never into that, like, I'm obsessed with Paris, I'm obsessed with Nicole. It was never that celebrity obsession. It was drugs and just scoring. Yeah. It's about the drugs, for sure. Did you ever have, like, a wild night out with anyone that we might know? I mean, yeah. There there were there were lots of wild nights out. Um, you know, I... Yeah. It was, it was a crazy time. There was nights out with, um, like I said, you know that that crew of people and um there were others but I just really you know one of the craziest nights and I won't say who this is but we went out with this rapper and 
here's a perfect example. Like we're at this very, this hot spot in LA and we're out to dinner and I can spot a heroin addict when I see one. And I immediately was like, hey, like, what's good? Like, (laughs) you know, are you into the same kind of things that I'm into? And this person was very clearly and every, everybody after the dinner, which in LA dinners start, and I'm sure they do in New York too, at like 930, 10. Yeah. And so we're like at 930, 10, and then everyone goes to the club. And then me and this rapper and two girls go back to his apartment in Hollywood Hills, like penthouse. And we just like shot heroin all night and had sex. So there were absolutely nights like that. But the vast majority of nights were like, and it's usually like, yeah, it's usually like driving into like the deep, deep San Fernando Valley in the middle of the night and like then following this car around for 15 minutes so they know that you're not being tailed and then running into the car and then spitting balloons of heroin out of their mouths, which Lord knows where else those have been into your hands. And then you have to put the balloons of heroin from their mouth into your mouth because they won't let you leave with them in your purse. So that way, if you get pulled over, everyone just swallows their drugs. And yeah, it's just like, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And you, were you ever like scared when you were in the middle of all this? Yeah. I mean, there, I got held at gunpoint once. It was a nightmare. It was disgusting. It was like, uh I don't want anyone to think that that part of my life was glamorous or fun because it wasn't. But that's what addicts are. Like you said, whether it's sex, work, whatever your addiction is. I mean, that's a definition of addiction. Like you just, you know, there's so many things around it that are wrong and you're scared, but you can't stop. It takes over your life. Yeah. It's not a a matter of willpower. That's for sure. Like, I don't think anybody wants to be like a slave to... No. So that's your life. It's not really celebrity obsessed. It's lots of drugs. You want to score. You have these wild nights out. So now talk to me about how we get from all that going on in your life to, you know, you meeting Rachel Lee in the bling ring. Like, how does that now come to be part of it? I think that's a really common misperception about just because the way that the media kind of put me as the front and center of the bling ring. But Um, I didn't know Rachel Lee. I didn't know Diana or really anyone in the group very well. I didn't know Rachel Lee at all. I did have a couple of nights out with Courtney, um, but I didn't know Rachel. I didn't know Diana. I didn't know. I don't even know the other guys who were involved. Um, The only person I knew in the bling ring was Nick. I was introduced to Nick through Tess. and uh, I only knew Nick for a short period of time. At the time that I met Nick, Nick had already been robbing Paris Hilton and all those people. I was only at one house, and that was Orlando Bloom's house. Mm-hmm. And I didn't plan the robbery, but I did take part in the robbery. But um, yeah, it just I think that I became like the face, the bling ring, just because sex sells. And it's way more sexy for some girl that has her own reality show to become the face of the bling ring than just some kids from Calabasas who were addicted to robbing people. So yeah, I, um, I was involved in that robbery at Orlando Bloom's house. But that was it. And then after that night, so I had signed my contract with E and the robbery took place two weeks later. 
which like, why would you plan a robbery of a celebrity when you just signed a contract with E? You wouldn't. Why would you rob a house anyway if you're there? Well, because I was a drug addict and drug addicts do whatever they can to get whatever they can get. Although the only things that I ended up taking from that house were a Louis Vuitton briefcase and one black dress. But if you give the opportunity of a drug addict to rob a house, chances are they're probably going to rob a house. And that's not to say that I was the Mother Teresa. I had never robbed a house before that. But um, I certainly had never done anything like that before. I had taken change out of people's cars. I had definitely stolen cash out of a friend's wallet to get drugs. I'd taken money from my parents, like lots of money from my parents to get drug money. But I was no like burglar mastermind at all. So it's not like, you know, because I think that's a misperception in the media too. Like you weren't part of the sitting around and like that whole celebrity, like, oh my God, let's hit up Lohan's house. Let's split up Paris's house. Let's do Rachel Bilson. Like there was this, there was this element, I guess, with them of who the person was, I think, as far as a celebrity. Yeah. I mean, I can't say for sure because I can't speak for Nick or Rachel about what their motives were. I think that the story of the bling ring, unfortunately, is lacking a lot of nuance. I think that there's a lot more similarities in our stories, in their stories and in mine, than there are differences. I think that when you look at the history and the things that Nick and Rachel and Courtney and them were going through in their home life, I think it's a lot like what we were going through. And maybe there was that aspect or what I was going through. Maybe there was that aspect of the celebrities, but I think that there was a lot more like mental health crisis and addiction than what was ever portrayed in the media. Did you hear of the bling ring like before you were there at Orlando's house? Like, did you hear of it? Like, did you know what it was? Like, did you know these people were the people? No. So at the time, um, okay, so at this, so in way before I met Nick in December of 2008 was when they robbed Paris Hilton's house. And of course that made news for like a minute, but no one thought that it was like this burglar heist. So it just kind of moved on. Yeah. Then several months later, they robbed Rachel Bilson's house. And I don't think anyone then was even connecting the dots. So those were the only robberies that had transpired before the robbery of Orlando Bloom. And then Nick and Rachel proceeded after the robbery of Orlando Bloom to rob Audrina Patridge to attempt to rob Megan Fox and um, uh, Lindsay Wellhand. That came like later in the summer after I stopped talking to Nick because after that night happened, after he took me to that house, I was kind of like, this is bad and like, we're not talking anymore. I think I kind of realized that, you know, that was way I was doing a lot of like dark and scary stuff, but like that was not something I was interested in. So we pretty much um, really distanced ourselves and stopped talking. Um, so, yeah. So you were literally just there and they're like, we're going to go in this house now and rob it. And you were just right there. Um, right, uh, I was staying with Nick. Okay, so Tess got kicked out of my house our house like did you know before you headed up there or no we were out part nick and i were out partying and then he was like i gotta go 
let's go. And I was like, okay. And then we pulled up to the house and Rachel and Diana were already there and they were in a different car. So, um, yeah. And then like for you, like you said, it was just about like being a drug addict and like maybe I could get something worth money and that could lead to drugs. Yeah. I didn't know house it was at the time is and it didn't I mean it, it was like a night I don't want to say it was a bad house it was like it was an okay house it just it wasn't like very it wasn't like you walked in and saw like academy awards <laughs> like you know what right. I mean like just looks like a normal like kind of mid-century modern home in the Hollywood Hills it didn't look like right posters of whose house it was in the house did they know though like i mean i imagine they knew the people that were yeah i'm sure they knew so that happened you did that and that was literally two weeks after you signed your contract with e thanks for tuning into part one of our sit down with miss alexis nyers hines stay tuned for part two we talk more about her life the bling ring We all know what the bling ring is. There was a whole movie about it. Talk about Paris, Lindsay. We talk more about people's obsession with fame. Have we gone too far? We talk about Kim Kardashian. Oh, we have a lot to say about that. Stay tuned for part two of our sit down. And as you can see, Alexis doesn't hold back with Miss Alexis Nyers Haynes. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones. And the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.